if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 4, okay? James chapter 4. I want to begin there this morning in verse 13. Uh, that passage of Scripture runs from 13 through 17. We'll read that together, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. And then I would ask that you would continue to pray for me this morning, uh, that I would bring God's Word uh, in a way that glorifies Him and pleases Him, uh, and that we would have receptive hearts uh, and ears to hear what He would say to us this morning. James chapter 4, verse 13 begins and says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day. Thank you for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning in your house to worship together, to fellowship together, to, uh, to just to lift uh, praises up to you here this morning. Uh, Lord, to glorify your name. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the, uh, not only, we thank you for the roof you put over our head. We thank you, Lord, for the health and the ability you've given us to be here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have, the nation that we live in. God, we thank you for each one who fought and sacrificed and bled and died so we could have that freedom. But we know that ultimately it's a gift from you. And so, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory here this morning. And, Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would move in our midst in a mighty way. God, you know the condition of our souls. You know uh, the battles that we have faced, the ones that we are facing, and the ones that are still ahead of us. Lord, there's nothing that you don't see, nothing that you don't know, nothing that is hidden from you. And so, God, I'm just praying, I'm asking that you'd show up this morning in a big way and do what only you can do. And we'll give you every bit of the glory for it. So, Lord, I'm asking, pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon us. If there's any sin in our hearts, any sin in our lives, if we've let any thoughts dwell in our minds that should not be there, God, convict them of us. And don't give us any peace until we would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Because that is the most important thing. And, Lord... If there's any that's maybe backslidden, any that's fallen away, any that don't know you, that's never known you, whatever that case may be, things ain't like they ought to be with you. Oh God, my heart's desire, my longing, I ache this morning that they would turn to you, that they come to themselves and turn to you before it's everlasting too late. And God, let me ask one more thing of you here this morning. I need your help. I can't preach lest you give it to me. I got nothing to say. Not on my own, I don't. 
So, Lord, I'm just asking that you clear my mind of everything except for your message and your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here this morning. Help it to, the preaching to be easy. Lord, let, let it just roll off my tongue. Lord, uh, let everyone here know that it's, it's from you through my spirit to theirs. And God, I pray that you'd have your way and your will. Anoint me from on high. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Um, in this passage of scripture, uh, let me just start by with a brief explanation here. What's, what's being said here is the example of, of these people, uh, these fellows, whoever they are, making plans and saying that they're going to go to such and such town and, and they're going to do business for a year and, and they're going to make a lot of money. Uh, th that's, what is, that's the example that is being set here, that's being given. And then in the response to that is uh, where it says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, what's being said is you ain't got no idea what tomorrow may bring. You don't know what is in the future. Uh, it asks, you know, what is your life? It compares it. So it's a vapor, right? A, mi a, 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 a mist, right? Something momentary, a, a flash. And it is over. It vanishes away. And, and it goes on and corrects them and says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wills. In other words, if it is God's will, then you will continue to live for another day, another week, another month, another year, however long it may be that the Lord wills, and you will do this and that, whatever it is that God wills. And, and this whole idea of making your own plans, that you're going to go and that you're going to just, you, you're going to go to a such town for a year and you're going to just clean up there. It says those kinds of boastings uh, the rejoicing in that and those kinds of boastings are, are, are evil, right? It's talking about prideful, arrogant. And then it uses that verse that is quoted often, and I've quoted it many times there at the end. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. A, a lot of times that's classified, it, and I feel like maybe I've even preached on it before, of the sin, there's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. We usually think about the sin of commission. That's usually the way our mind works. What that means, the sin of commission, is to do wrong, right? We know to do wrong, to do something that God says not to do, right? To go against the word of God, that's wrong, that's sin, right? That's the sin of commission. But what he's talking about and bringing out here is what's often referred to as the sin of omission. In other words, knowing what you ought to do, but not doing it. That is also sin. If we look at this, you know, and we wanted to give it some uh, maybe applications some make some broad strokes here, uh, part of really kind of what it's getting at here is, is first of all, is making plans without God, right? Uh, that, that's what he's getting on to them here for is, is, is knowing that they ought to be seeking God's will and they ought to be doing God's will, but instead not doing that, right? Knowing what the right thing is to do but not doing it, that's equally sin but instead leaving God out of your plans and following what it is that you want to do 
That in a nutshell is what these verses are saying. But I want to hone in to a, very closely to a specific point here. Think about, you know, we used to always say, think about taking a, 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 a magnet, or a, not a magnet, a magnifying glass or a microscope and zooming in. What we're used to now between our phones and tablets and things like that is, is we use our fingers and we zoom in, right? We do this and, and, and we zoom in where we can focus in and see this one little point here. I want to turn your attention to verse 14 for just a minute. It says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? You know, they say that our attention spans aren't very long. They teach you uh, any kind of public speaking or anything like that, if you're going to do a presentation or speech or whatever, they say you've got to grab people's attention in the first few moments. And if you don't do that, then their minds drift away. It's, it's the way that we are, right? They claim, I don't know if it's true or not, it sure feels like it's true, they claim that the way society is geared today, instant communications, instant, you know, our technology is all instant, right? That we're used to instant gratification, instant response, instant getting what we want right then, right in the moment. And if we don't, then it loses our attention. Now, it's natural for our thoughts to drift. If your thoughts has drifted, this is the point I want to... Don't make me do something crazy to get your attention. Listen to me for a second. Listen to this one phrase. What is your life? What is your life? That's what I want to focus on. What is your life? Can you answer that? Do you know the answer to that? What is your life? Well, let's explore that. Let's talk about that for a minute. It goes on here in this verse. It says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Do you notice that word time? Right? Everything else in that sentence comes back to time. It is describing the amount of time that your life is, right? It compares it there to a vapor, right? Then it explains what it means by it being a vapor. That it appeareth for a little time, momentarily, right? And then it's gone. Then it vanishes away. That's what our life is. And we measure life in time, we view things that way. Listen to me. Let me tell you some things about time. First of all, in case you didn't know it, but I bet you did, time is short. It's brief. It's like a vapor. Especially when compared to the centuries which have already passed into eternity. All that is left of those years is what we call history. Time is gone. Think about that. Time is gone. Time is something that is spent. It is, and if you're not careful, it is something that can be wasted. Never 
to be used again. Time never stands still, right? You, <laughs> you familiar with the phrase, time marches on? It does. Time don't stop for nobody. Not, not this side uh, of the Lord coming back. That's one of the great things about his, about his second coming is when he stops time. But for, for right now, for all of history, right, time has continued to march on. And you know what I find? <laughs> the older I get, it seems like the faster time marches. I actually, uh, let me tell you a funny story real quick. I, this is true. And I won't call his name because you might know him. I got a friend. He's a little bit older than me. I don't know how much older, 10 or 15 years older than me. But anyways, I've got a friend that literally believes. I thought he was joking when he first told me. He literally thinks that time is speeding up. He thinks time is going... I guess what he means by that is he thinks the, the earth is, is revolving faster and faster and faster and going faster and faster around the sun. Uh, that's what he really thinks. Now, I, I don't agree with him at all on that. I think, though, I understand where he's coming from. Because a year now, when I compare what a year is now to whenever I was a kid... Oh my goodness, it's about 10 to 1. Time don't slow down. I don't think it's sped up, but it sure seems like it is. I'll agree with him on that part. It seems like it is. Time marches on. It goes by faster and faster. So what is it? What are we supposed to do? It, it, the question that I started out with is, what is your life? The Bible tells us that it is very short, and then it vanishes away, right? And, and that measurement is in time, right? We have determined that time doesn't stop. It keeps going, and if you're not careful, you will waste that time. So what does the Bible tell us that we are supposed to do about it? Well, it uses the phrase, redeem the time. Uh, in Ephesians 5.16, it, it says they're redeeming the time because the days are evil. It uses that phrase, redeeming the time. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, it says walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time, right? That means make the most of it, right? Make the most of every opportunity. Make good use of every opportunity that comes your way, that God gives you. Take advantage of every opportunity. Use the present opportunity that God gives you to the fullest. That's what it means. Um, probably you've heard... Probably all of you have heard the, the story of the student who asked his college professor to tell him what the meaning of life was. And despite all of that, his teacher, his professor, despite all of that man's education, and he had a lot of it, and I'm not speaking ill of education at all. I'm just saying despite all of his education, and his best efforts to truly answer that question, he could not come up with an answer. And I'll tell you why he couldn't come up with an answer. Because the truth is, science cannot answer 
that question. And listen, throw stones at me if you like, but I'm speaking truth here this morning. Neither can a political movement answer that question either. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It cannot answer that question. Neither can a philosophy. Many great philosophers have tried, but it cannot. You see, because in the Bible alone, in the Word of God alone, is found the answer to that question. It tells us, right? What is your life? It tells us where we came from. It tells us why we are here. And it tells us where we're headed, where we are going. So let me, let me take just a moment this morning to go over that with you, all right? Where we came from. The Bible makes it very clear where we came from, right? But it, sadly, our, our children today are being taught that we came from a process of evolution. And they claim that that is fact, right? They don't even present it as a theory. But the truth is, is it is unprovable, right? What they are, what they are presenting is unprovable, right? Evolution is still only a, a scientific theory, right? It is a proposed explanation for where we came from, for how life started, how we got here. And now, I don't know how much you look at this stuff and follow this stuff and, and, and listen to these guys, the uh, supposed smartest living in the world today. But the more and more evidence that comes forward, it is becoming so evident that macroevolution cannot possibly be true, especially as it's been taught for quite a while now, that even the most ardent believers in evolution are backing up on it. I first started hearing it uh, uh, probably 15 years ago. Uh, and it is becoming more and more if you if you kind of follow some of that and, and interested in, in uh, you know some of the, the some of the science journals and things like that you, you'll be, you'll see this more and more and, and at first those that were deviating from it were ostracized and considered you know nuts and things like that but now it's becoming more and more uh, apparent and obvious I don't want to make this a sermon about all that uh, but it, it definitely can dig in and it's and it's kind of interesting. But here's the thing that I find so funny about the whole thing. For me, from my perspective, since that, you know, I've gotten saved and God's opened my eyes and, and, and revealed the truth to me, I see things through that lens now. I don't see it the way that I used to. And so it's interesting for me to sit back and watch these guys wrestle with this. But what, I, what is, it, it's hilarious and it's sad at the same time. Do you know what is being floated? I'm talking by the smartest guys in the world as a replacement for the evolution theory. As a matter of fact, it's being floated so many places right now that it started out among the intellect and then we're starting to see it more and more filter into our culture and the things that we watch on TV to hear recently to what we've been hearing on the news. 
You know what the replacement theory is going to be? And I will, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but if the Lord uh, tarries and allows me to stay here long enough, I bet by the time my grandkids are in high school, or definitely by the time that they're in college, this will be being taught as equal or maybe more probable than evolution in public secular school systems. Places of education. Aliens. Aliens from some far away galaxy. I know, it's crazy, right? But to them, to believe that an all-powerful, eternal, self-existent creator created everything, to them, that's absolutely nuts. But it's not nuts to think space aliens flew over and started life here. And, and guided it along the way, right? Some of them, their theory is, is you know, because like I said, it's becoming more evident, right, that you just, I mean, you just can't really believe in macroevolution. There's something too, you know, a lot more can be said for microevolution. And so anyways, that's kind of guidance, right? So, so that's their theory now is that these space aliens started life here and then through microevolution kind of guided it to where we are now. And then there's different theories from that point. It's crazy, it's nuts, but that's where it is. And people would rather believe that and think that. The Bible even talks about people would rather believe a lie and be damned than to believe the truth. And so anyways, what am I trying to tell you here this morning? The Bible has the only answer to the origin of human life that makes any sense whatsoever. All other answers are mere feeble efforts of those who will not, who refuse to admit to God being their creator. Right? They refer to that as something that is that only the weak and feeble, right? The weak-minded and the feeble-minded, right, need to rely on that. Those who have no hope, right? They view it and, and will say things about it that how it is a uh, uh, that it is a a a, a, a um, primitive, right? A primitive God and and and, and a primitive uh, process and religion and all that and how we've evolved past. Needing a primitive God. Listen to me this morning. The Bible makes it clear to us. It ascribes the origin of life to one supreme life-giving source. Listen to me. There is no spark of life and evolution or any other theory that they throw out there. I, I, I mean, evolution, whenever I was in school, that's what, the, that's what they were teaching us. And they said life began uh, right from, uh, that come out of, uh, of, of dead, lifeless chemicals, right? Matter somewhere in space, which evolved into simple forms of, of life, which later evolved into more complex forms of life, right? Uh, listen to me. Hear me this morning. Neither evolution nor aliens in some faraway galaxy explains how space, time, and matter came into existence. They have no explanations for those. The only place that you can find the explanation for those is in the Word of God. Listen to me. Science cannot give an explanation of the origin of life that makes any sense 
whatsoever, right? I, I heard somebody use the analogy one time talking about evolution. That they said whenever a princess kisses a frog and the frog turns into a prince, that's a fairy tale. But you stretch that out between the frog and the prince by a few million years, and it's science. It's crazy. I don't care how close or how far you put it apart. It is grasping at straws in order to deny or to refuse to admit that God is our creator. You see, because once you admit that God exists and he is the creator and all life originates from him, then there's a whole host of things that go along with that. So listen to me. Science can't explain the origins of life. Life has never been uh, reproduced and demonstrated in a laboratory. Uh, there is no empirical evidence that life uh, ha has formed by chance. Uh, there is no evidence, right, that the gradual development of life, right, that's not demonstrated in the fossil record, in the fossil remains. There is no monkey to man in the fossil records as we were taught in science and in biology classes when we were in school. Listen to me. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man, and he became a living soul. There is the origin. And you know what? Jesus believed that. He sure did. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 4, he says, Have you not read? Now, I'm going to stop for a minute. If you read the whole thing in context, you know what's going on. But when he says, have you not read, he's talking about Genesis. Have you not read the creation account in Genesis? He goes on, he says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? First of all, he's ascribing uh, or, the origin of humans to God as the creator. And he is saying there that in the beginning, God made them, right? They See, really, really what's really at the heart of this whole evolution thing, and I think the only reason why it's hung on as long as it has is because what man has always wanted to do, right? There's a deep-seated desire is for man to be God. Only God has the power to give life. Only God has the power to create. And so if man can come up with a, you know, can convince himself or other people or whatever that man created man, right? That's essentially what evolution would be. Then man is God because he's created. He gives life. Well, that's not the case at all. And another thing in this little comment that Jesus made that's more pertinent today than ever before as he said, he made them male and female. Huh. I'll be. God made them male and female. I don't see a third option, a fourth option, a fifth option, or a tenth option. Male and female. Oh, you might say. <laughs> they didn't know back then. They didn't have it figured out back then. Listen to me. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, God manifests in the flesh. He knew exactly what he was talking about. They had nothing he did not know. And if they'd have been a third, fourth, or a fifth option, he would have said so. But he didn't, and there ain't. So, where did we come from? God. That's where we came from. God made us. He formed us on the sixth day. 
Second question I think we need to answer. Why are we here? Now, a lot of people have no answer for this question. And what's sad is there's some people, maybe even a lot of people, I don't know, uh, but there's definitely some people who probably don't even care why we're here. Uh, I read, a, I read a, a quote one time by a Dr. Thornsworth, and I wrote it down and brought it with me because I thought it was really good. He said, uh, and I think it's an excellent observation, he said, the great sickness of our age is aimlessness, boredom, a lack of meaning and purpose in life. Modern medicine has prolonged life, but this has only made the problem worse. I think he was right on to something. The Bible has the answer. It has the answer for all of the questions which we need answers for. So I asked, why are we here? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. I, I, I had Donna read this set of scriptures in Colossians chapter 1 for this very purpose, right? And, and one thing that it makes clear in that passage of scriptures is that we are here for the Lord, right? That God created us for himself, right? And then if we were to go on and we were to look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, it makes us clear here that we are here for uh, God's pleasure, right? It says in Revelation uh, 4, 11, For he hath created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The Bible also tells us that we are here for his praise, to praise the Lord, to praise God. That's Psalms 102 verse 18, right? Tells us that the people which were created uh, shall praise the Lord. And then uh, in Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, it makes this clear to us that we are here to give him glory. As a matter of fact, it says in that verse, wherefore, uh, whether, excuse me, whether therefore uh, ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So we're here. We're here to give him glory. We're here for his praise, right? And to give him praise. We are here for his pleasure. He created us for himself. And let me throw one more thing out there and I'll sp spend a minute explaining it. We're here to prepare for eternity. The Bible teaches us that preparations are necessary for the day when we will stand before God in judgment. We must, every one of us must prepare to meet him. And how, how do we prepare for that day? Well, it's really simple. Repentance and faith. Right? We've got to, we, we have to repent of our sins and we have to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why. So, with that said, let me say this. My, the last question. Where are we going? How do we get here? Why are we here? Right? How we got here is God. God created us. He gave us life. He formed us out of the dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. Why are we here? We're here for him, for his glory, for his praise, for his pleasure. But that little puff of smoke, that little vapor, that little mist that it describes as our life, how short our life is, I've also heard it described as a dash. It's not very long. And in that time, we're given just a moment of time to prepare 
for eternity. And so the question is, in eternity, where are we going to be? Well, listen, I got news for you this morning. There is life after this life. One thing that the atheist likes to believe, and I have found that there's very few true atheists in this world. There's a lot of people that claim to be atheists. But when you get right down to the heart of it, there's very few that are truly, really atheists. Uh, but what they like to believe is that whenever you close your eyes for the last time, that's it. Nothing else after that. I've got news for you. That is just the beginning of eternity. That, there is life after this life. All right? Physical death is not the end. According to the Bible, there are only two places where we will live on for eternity, right? That is heaven or hell. It is one or the other. There is no waiting place or waiting area in between. It is heaven or it is hell. That's why you've heard so many preachers over the year tell us or say that there's a heaven to shine and a hell to gain. Right? That is the two choices. Matthew uh, chapter 25 and verse uh, 46 says, And uh, and these shall go away into everlasting uh, punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, the righteous is not the self-righteous. It's not those that think that they're all great, super religious, and all good, and better than you, and holier than thou. That's not the righteous. That's the Pharisees. That's the ones he called whitewashed sepulchers. That's the one that he called a brood of vipers. That's the one that he said, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you're going to go to hell with them. The righteousness he's talking about, and the only righteousness that, will, that is greater is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when you put your faith, when you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus. You trust no longer in your own works, but you trust in His works and what He has done. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Through Him, we prepare to meet our Maker. Remember they answered our first question, our Creator? But... To reject Jesus, your only hope to an eternal life in heaven. To reject him is to seal your doom in hell. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, and there, excuse me, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things according to that which was written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's only one way of getting your name written in the Lamb's book of life. That's to accept what Jesus done for you. To repent of your sins and place your faith in Him. That's how you get your name 
in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can I end with just a little story I want to tell you? The year is 1829. A man by the name of George Wilson. He, th this man, George Wilson, he's been arrested, he's been tried, and he has been convicted. And his crimes was murder, theft, and actually done the theft through mail, so it's mail fraud also. Mail fraud, theft, and murder. That is the crimes that he committed. He is tried, convicted, and sentenced. And the man is guilty, and he does not deny that. But he come from a family that was well-to-do, had a lot of influence in very high places, and they loved their son very dearly. And so they began to, they were well-known and powerful. And uh, when he was sent to prison, his family began the appeals process. They got the best lawyers, the best legal minds of the time. They pulled in every favor that they could. You're not supposed to do that, but they're pulling out all the stops. They're doing everything that they can. And appeal after appeal takes place. Eventually, when the appeals and the appeal process fails, they use their influence to have, their, to have George's case brought before the president. Right, His files are brought and placed on the president's desk. At this time, the president of the United States is Andrew Jackson. This is, listen to me. This is a true story. Uh, you can look this up. As a matter of fact, this is what turns into a very uh, important Supreme Court case. Andrew Jackson spends time reviewing the files, asking questions, looking things over. This is not something that he takes lightly. And the truth is, if it was not for who this family was, he probably wouldn't have given it this much consideration. But because of the circumstances of the case and because of who this family is and who this man is, he decides on their account not to just offer the man clemency, right? That, that's another word saying that, you know, your, your punishment is done. You don't have to finish fulfilling it. You're not going to have to be executed. You know, you're still guilty and, and, and that's there. But you, 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 what time you spent in jail is considered all of your punishment, time served, you walk out free. That was best case scenario I think realistically they were hoping for. But Andrew Jackson surprised everybody. He didn't offer this young, this person, I don't actually know how old George was at this point. He didn't offer this man clemency. Instead, he offered him a full pardon. I don't know why he did that, but he did. Can you imagine what it was like as they took news to George in prison? That President Jackson, he, here is a signed pardon. Not just clemency, not just a stay of execution, not just a, a being reduced from, uh, from execution to, to life in prison, a full 
pardon like you've never done it. I bet they were practically dancing when they walked in there to give that news. His family I'm talking about. Do you know what George did? George refused the pardon. He said he didn't want it. He said he didn't want it because he was guilty. And he had realized that because he was guilty, he deserved to die. And so he refused the pardon. They told him that he could not do that. That they said, they actually literally said that he couldn't say no because it was a presidential pardon signed by the president. But he said he could and he was saying no to it. I told you a while ago, this is a true story. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. This, it ends up at the Supreme Court, a very famous uh, court case before the Supreme Court, right? Because it eventually works its way up there because this question had never been raised in American history. And so when it works its way up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court makes a decision. The decision is, is actually written by the Chief Justice, John Marshall. And I, I, I brought to you, I want to read to you a small excerpt of it, okay? I wrote it down and brought it. Here is what Chief Justice John Marshall said. A pardon is of no effect until it is accepted by the one for whom it is intended. Though it is almost inconceivable that a condemned criminal would refuse a pardon, if he does refuse it, the pardon is of no effect. George Wilson must die. And die he did because he would not accept the pardon that had been offered. Many of you are probably sitting here thinking, what would you do in that circumstance? And, and maybe even more so, put yourself in the position of his family and that have... How would you react if this was your son? But here's what I was thinking about. How many people are dying today and going to hell because they will not accept the pardon that God is offering them through Jesus Christ? That's exactly what the case is. That is exactly what it boils down to. Listen, every one of us, and not just us, all of mankind, everyone, except Jesus, of course, but every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us will stand before God guilty one day. Not a single one of us will be able to stand before Him and claim our own righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before Him. All of us stand before Him guilty, condemned to, to all of eternity in a devil's hell.
But God loved us so much, you know what he did? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross, not for his own sins. He's the only one to have, to have never sinned. He done it for our sins. He bore our sin. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at the end of the chapter there, he says the only one who to never know sin became sin. That's for us. That's more than what I can grasp. But that's what he done. You see, he paid our price for us. He paid. He took our punishment. He bore our sins so that we could have that pardon. So that we could be made free. So that we could live for eternity in heaven with him in the presence of him and his father it's free all you've got to do is accept it but so many just like George Wilson says no for whatever reason lots of different reasons none of them are valid none of them are worth it none of those excuses are any good Jesus paid the price. It's done. All you've got to do is accept it. All you've got to do is repent. Put your faith in Him. That's how you accept it. Turn to Him. All you've got to do. It's there. And it's so sad. So many, everybody, are rejecting it and dying and going to hell. I'm begging you this morning, don't let that be you. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, don't you wait any longer. Would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it might be, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Maybe there's some things going on in your life. Uh, maybe there's some junk you need to get out of the way. Maybe you realize this morning you're not where you ought to be. Maybe today is your day to get things right with God, to accept pardon that he's made available to you then again maybe there's some other things going on in your life maybe it's family members maybe it's friends that are on your heart whatever it is I'm begging you don't you miss this opportunity if you've got a need if you've got a burden would you come this morning would you come